Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. What man of you that hath a hundred sheep, and if he shall lose one of them, doth he not leave the ninety-nine in the desert, and go after that which was lost until he find it? Words taken from the gospel for this third Sunday after Pentecost. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Have you ever wondered what the ninety-nine those sheep left behind what they went through while their shepherd was away, seeking that one lost sheep. How did they get along without the shepherd around? What were they supposed to be doing while he was away? Throughout salvation history, there have been many times when it seems that our Lord, the good shepherd, the king of kings, went away for a while. Many of the saints relate how they had to go through periods of darkness, times in the desert, when they felt spiritually dry, abandoned, alone. Job, our beloved Job, in anguish said for all the saints, I cry to thee, and thou hearest me not. I stand up, and thou dost not regard me. St. John of the Cross famously asks in the spiritual Canticle, he asks our Lord, where have you gone? Where have you hidden? Divine revelation tells us something about what others have done before us in this situation. When Moses, the God-sent shepherd of Israel, went up to the mountain to receive the law of God, the people below were in the desert. They were left behind. After a spell, as you know the story probably very well, they began to wonder what it became of this Moses. He's not here anymore. Giving in to their foolish impatience, they soon made a golden calf for themselves, set up a false liturgy, and then sat down to eat and drink, after which they rose up to play. In the parable of the faithful and unfaithful servants, the Lord seemed to be delayed in returning. As a result, many were weary, thinking, My Lord is a long a coming. And they began to strike the men's servants and the maid servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk. Seems one of the faults of the ninety nine left behind is to give way to intemperance or the vice of gluttony. Now, let's define gluttony. It's always helpful. Gluttony consists of an excess, an excessive seeking after the pleasures connected with the use of food and drink. God made us such that we experience certain pleasures associated with various duties of our state in life or of life in general. We have a duty to eat in order to stay alive and keep functioning until God calls us home. This duty to eat has what is called a concomitant pleasure associated with it, meaning it simply, it comes with, eating comes with pleasure. 
The key word is with. Comes with a pleasure. To put things in the proper order, we like to say, we eat to live. We do not live to eat. We eat to live. We do not live to eat. That's it. That's the proper order. Going to go eat so I can keep going. I'm not going to live just to eat. That's what the Romans did at times. Again, gluttony happens when we seek out this pleasure for its own sake. Rather than enjoying it as we fulfill our duty. The theologians are often more specific. Gluttony happens when the right amount of food and drink they write may be exceeded in various ways, taking more than is useful and maintaining a good disposition of body and soul. I ate too much. Using exceedingly exquisite food and drink, or food and drink which costs beyond one's own state and financial circumstances. Seeking after very highly seasoned dishes can be gluttonous. Taking without reason food or drink outside the hours of regular meals without a doctor's order. Eating and drinking with too much avidity. Taking alcoholic drinks to the point of losing one's reasoning faculty. Such is gluttony. Of itself, gluttony is most often a venial sin due to the need for us to eat and stay alive. But it may become a mortal sin in a number of ways. I'm going to give you six ways according to the theologians. First, if one is so minded as to be ready to violate a serious precept, attendance at Sunday Mass, rather than deprive himself of the pleasures of taste, big banquet going on, I'll go to that instead. Mortal sin. Not just because you missed Mass, because you put food ahead of Mass. Two mortal sins. We can also think of the rich man and Lazarus. He preferred to eat rather than to take care of his duties around him. Number two, if one transgresses in a serious manner, the church's precept of fasting and abstinence. In other words, we hold the rules of fasting and abstinence on Friday, especially during Lent, for example, in contempt, mortal sin. Number three, if one exceeds the proper limits to the point of causing considerable danger to his health, or when such excesses give rise to serious danger of severe illness, You're threatening your life with this food. Number four, when the intemperance is such as to cause expenditures far in excess of the family budget, or if it places the intemperate in the impossibility of paying his debts. Now, a drink comes to mind here, obviously. Someone's spending all their money on drink. The family's in debt. Mortal sin. When it hinders a person from fulfilling an important duty, or is the cause of grave scandal? And number six, when one takes such a quantity of alcohol, everyone should know this one, when one takes such a quantity of alcoholic drink so as to deprive himself totally of the power of reason, or even partially, but with grave scandal. 
We're not to be drinking to lose our power of thinking. Gluttony is a serious obstacle, we also know, to perfection and a source of many other sins and disorders. This is why it's called a capital vice. It leads to many problems. It easily produces a state of mental confusion, as well as a lack of dignity and behavior. Using vulgar language usually follows filling the belly, revealing secrets which are not to be disclosed, the damaging of other people's names. It also weakens the will and disposes one to impurity, which is a direct effect of gluttony. St. Gregory the Great puts it very well in his pastoral care. He says, as the belly fills, the tongue is loosed. Thus, we can think of family reunions or any other gathering of people that might be a bit boring unless food were given in a liberal supply. People then start talking and enjoying each other's company. It's normal. That's how it works. As the belly fills, the tongue is loosed. St. John of the Cross, he writes, Joy in the delights of food directly engenders anger, discord, the lack of charity towards one's neighbor and the poor. Accordingly, a decided spiritual topor, lukewarmness, is directly engendered, and the desire for spiritual things is so spoiled that one finds no satisfaction in them. The more we enjoy the delights of the table, the less we'll enjoy praying. St. John of the Cross. The fathers of the church did not overlook that the first sin of man was connected to our belly. They ate of the tree. They ate the apple. St. John Climacus goes so far as to say the belly is the cause of all human shipwreck. Wow. The belly is the cause of all human shipwreck. It is noticeable that many of the greatest sins in the Bible are connected or associated with eating. In regard to Sodom and Gomorrah, the prophet Ezekiel writes, How did your sister Sodom sin except by eating her bread and surfeit in abundance? St. John Cashin, commenting on this, notes, Because of their surfeit of bread, they had been set ablaze with an inextinguishable fire of the flesh. Then there is the nakedness of Noah from too much drink, the fall of Esau for a mess of pottage. Eating preceded the golden calf, as we mentioned earlier. David's sin with Bathsheba was after a midday meal. There are certainly more examples like Herod killing St. John the Baptist in the midst of his birthday banquet, and the rich man in his sumptuous dining as Poor man Lazarus wasted away at his door. And what of the cruelty shown to the patriarch Joseph? After throwing him into a cistern, they sat down to eat and then sold him as a slave. Maybe St. John Climacus was not exaggerating in saying that belly is the cause of all human shipwreck. So St. John of the Cross asks, who fails to drink a little or much from the golden chalice of the Babylonian woman of the apocalypse. There is hardly anyone of high rank or low, saint or a sinner, who does not drink of her wine, subjecting the heart somewhat. It's hard to avoid. How can we avoid it? We have to eat. 
Come on, Father. This is hard. Well, there is possible. There's ways of thinking and acting that make it possible. Borrowing from St. Philip Neri, there are three possibilities on how to approach the pleasures of the table. Mistress, companion, and slave. The mistress, number one. The pleasure of eating can entice us to eat. Lead us to the table like a mistress. Many allow this mistress to rule by seeking comfort foods to soothe their hurt feelings, calm their unruly passions, and quell their anxiety. They strive to push out the undesirable things by eating, guided by this mistress. But she does not satisfy. It never works in the long run. Mistress, the pleasure of eating entices us to eat, leads us to the table. Number two, or we can eat out of need and according to an ordered routine. But as we're eating, we experience the pleasure of eating. This is the pleasure that is a companion. This is the concomitant pleasure placed in us by God. This is permissible and there's no sin. Number three, pleasure that follows the act of eating. Namely, that we have fueled our bodies to stay warm and to work and to pray. And this brings its own pleasures. Here the pleasure is the slave. The third is the best and most desirable. The second is natural and can be hard to overcome since God attaches pleasures to things that are in some way or some time needed. The first is where the real danger lies and must be mortified. This is the sipping from the foaming chalice that opens the door to many other evils and disorders. How are we going to fight it? Well, drink of the chalice offered by our Lord. And avoid the Babylonian chalice that is foaming and spicy and so attractive. In other words, we mortify ourselves through some voluntary suffering, such as abstinence. We abstain from things. We fast. We eat good and healthy foods, not processed foods, not fast foods, not exotic dishes. These are unhealthy, most of them. St. John of the Cross and his companions had bowls of ashes on their tables. They would put some in their food to keep the pleasures at bay, making the pleasures a slave rather than a companion. They kept drinking from our Lord's chalice so as to avoid drinking from the spicy and foaming chalice of worldly delight. This opens the heart to the spiritual food God has in store for us. Maybe We can't do all they did. It's too hard. Since most of us aren't ready for such penances as ashes, we can nevertheless imitate them in some little way. We can start by not eating between meals. St. Philip Neri says, you will never be spiritual if you eat between meals. Let's start there. This is the mistress at work. Also, can't we say no to something at our meals? However small, maybe it will be only salt or pepper once in a while 
What about saying no to that second helping? Do you really need it? We could eat things that may not always be enjoyable to us. Want some comfort foods? Feel the need? Why not eat some carrots and celery? Most people don't when they want comfort food. Good, then we should. You see, you're fighting. Do you live alone? Easy to graze, isn't it? Put a timer on your table. Listen to a sermon. When it's done, you're done. These are ways to fight. We could eat things that may not always enjoy eating. That helps. St. Therese was very good at this. She would often eat what others did not want, even things others did not consider edible. Now, I know she died at 24. That might be one of the reasons. But she ate everything that no one else wanted. Another saint recommends denying ourselves fattening foods, cutting down on whatever happens to make our food especially pleasant. One can think of butter. As one of the 99 left behind, let's control our appetites before they control us. If the rich man had mastered this part of himself, he would not have so easily overlooked the poor man Lazarus at his door. Let's fight the battle of the belly to avoid this behavior ourselves. The Lord, the good shepherd, has now seemingly pulled away in his body, the church, in order to ascend the heights of Mount Calvary. Once again, to renew the law written in his own precious blood. The church, in other words, is in her passion. She's on the cross, doing what is required to usher in the age of peace, the triumph of Mary's immaculate heart that has been promised to come on this very day, even practically, in 1917, June 13. Here's my immaculate heart. It was later renewed in 1929 on this day. It is now time to consecrate Russia to bring about an age of peace. It is yet to be done. Thus, we are the 99 left behind, and we're feeling it, waiting for that lost sheep of Russia to come home and be reunited to the Father, the Holy Father, the Pope. We can also see that our Lord is pulled away looking for that lost sheep. We can see it the golden calves that are more and more clear in our life and even in the church. Instead of giving way to the faults of the 99, namely gluttony is one of them, let's do what has been asked of us. What was mentioned in the lesson today, let's remain vigilant. Let's remain courageous in our battle for the faith. Let's remain faithful as angels. Or we will be among those who deny the church in our time of trial. When the good shepherd comes back, dearly beloved, will we be among those who hear him say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.